is Robin Steve here for another riveting episode of the N64U podcast. Coming at you with high-end amateur reviews and scoring for all your favorite and unknown N64 titles. Today in episode 3, we'll be reviewing one of N64's more popular titles, Paper Mario. That's right, Steven. Uh, I was really excited to play this game. I am a huge fan of the series. This particular game was released in 2001 by Intelligent Systems, who uh, I, I knew I recognized the name somewhere. They're behind the Fire Emblem games, the Advanced Wars games, uh, Mario Paint, which I know is a Steve Jalbert favorite. And They've got some really big titles. Yeah, but check this. They also made Super Metroid, which is like, if you've made that game you basically don't have to make any games after that so i have a lot of respect for these guys for making that one that that game is a little bit different than the other games that they've put together uh fire emblem advanced wars and even paper mario they're strategy games so it's it's clear that intelligent systems is very uh that's kind of their bread and butter here they definitely know the formula for that style of game right uh, what's, what's interesting about this game is, and another reason that I really loved it and was pumped when it came out was the fact that it's a spiritual successor to Super Mario RPG. Speaking of bomb ass Super Nintendo games. That was one of the biggest Super Nintendo games in my household growing up. Um, and I actually think it brought a lot of hype for me personally for Paper Mario itself. Yeah, Super Mario RPG was the first game I actually ever played in my life. My very first video game, I was like six years old playing it. I had no idea how I, I, I had no idea how to beat a lot of the bosses. So I had to call my stepdad in to, to beat the bosses for me. And, you know, my reading was obviously still in progress. So trying to follow the story and all that was tough. But something about that game. Uh, it quickly skyrocketed to one of my favorites. And when I heard that Paper Mario was coming out, I was like, oh man, another RPG Mario game. Uh, it, it was even, this Paper Mario was originally slated as Super Mario RPG 2, and it was going to come out on the uh, N64 disk drive attachment. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. When you play Paper Mario, it does, it, it feels exactly the same. The whole touch and feel of that game feels exactly the same as the original Super Mario RPG. Um, really interesting to to note that they were actually going to call it that for the soup for the N sixty four. In a lot of ways, it is very much so uh, similar to Super Mario RPG. Other other than the fact that Paper Mario is obviously very lighthearted, and Super Mario RPG is a, a bit darker. They both share the same silliness, though, for sure, which we'll get into. Definitely. And you can feel that light at lightheartedness in, in Paper Mario. And I think that's a uh, huge draw for all age groups. Um, it doesn't really like negate having a lot of younger kids do it. Like you said yourself, you started playing this series fairly young. So I think having a lighthearted sto uh, storyline and atmosphere about the game was a really good decision um, by them. Yeah. And the, the idea was that they wanted to pull in a more casual gaming audience with this one. They wanted something that would be a good uh, introduction to RPG games and turn-based games, which were not always the most widely appreciated game style because of how, you know, it's, they, it can be pretty mundane. They can be really uh, rote in the way that you are doing very similar actions repeatedly so it, it definitely they're slow paced they require a lot of thinking they're not a great introductory game style for for the casual audience but me growing up i was i was just a huge fan of the the turn-based games myself i was obsessed with the final fantasy games so when uh paper mario came out i was pumped uh squaresoft who did the Final Fantasy series. They were actually asked to do this Paper Mario game back when it was Super Mario RPG 2 because they they worked, they developed Super Mario RPG, the first game, but they had to turn down the offer because they were working on Final Fantasy 7. So I guess 
I guess the that's why they get a pass on that, that. That group really nailed that style of game. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's their bread and butter, baby. I do find you know with a lot of turn-based attack games for me, it definitely you either know how do you make you know how to make that game or you don't know how to make that game because I do think it does rightfully so get a bad rap in a lot of ways because um, I do think over the years you've seen a lot of you know dull games come out of that style. However, the ones that know how to do it, uh, such as uh, Intelligent Systems here with Paper Mario or um, Squaresoft, both of these groups really just know how to nail this type of turn-based attack game um, as they produce such hot titles such as Paper Mario and Final Fantasy. For the N64, I do find that there are a lot of, uh, or a limited number of turn-based attack RPGs in general. Um, the only one that I can really think of, and I correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but I believe it was uh, Ogre Battles was a game on N64 that was also turn-based attack. That's the only other popular title that I really think that they had on the N64 that had this style of gameplay. And Ogre Battle 64 isn't even a turn-based RPG in a sense. It's one of those, um, it's one of those tactical RPGs. It's in the same vein, but it's not even a, a true uh, turn-based RPG. Yeah, they just weren't, they didn't put out many for the N64, which is so wild considering that the Super Nintendo had seem, seemingly hundreds of them. Uh, it, was, it was the most, other than maybe platformers, it was the most popular style of game to come out on the Super Nintendo. So it's so weird that the N64 was so barren of them. I do think that's a that's an interesting fact. You know, honestly, seeing the drop off from it, um, I wonder if it's just in, like part of the growth in the technology of having the ability to go 3D. So I wonder if, you know, there was this conscious effort to take a lot of these turn based game and just make them more of a fluid play as a result of the tech development. But I agree. I think they got so away from it in the N64. And to me, I think having really. Paper Mario is truthfully, I think, the only title that is that true RPG turn-based attack game. And there's clearly a demand for it because it was one of the po most popular titles on that system at that time. And playing it today, you know, it feels just as good as it did back then. Yeah, I think that a lot of the N64 developers were really obsessed with creating the next super mario 64 so they they weren't really bothering with the turn-based rpg stuff it was uh sony that was cranking out the rpgs if you look at the playstation library there's tons and tons of the turn-based stuff so if you're a huge fan of those style of games the the playstation was probably more of your your favorite console I sort of always just assume that by the time we got to the era of N64, that the RPG turn-based game sort of was just a dying breed. No, they, they kept it going. Uh, Sony had Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, and then 10 on the uh, PlayStation 2. And they were kind of the flag bearers for the genre. And that, in, in the same sense that Super Mario 64 spawned so many copycats. I feel like the 3D Final Fantasy games, which were such a huge hit, really spawned the, the same idea that they want to, all these developers are trying to create the next Final Fantasy game and create this next series that people are going to obsess over. And now would be a great time to talk about our various categories and how we will discuss Paper Mario. Steven, would you mind please reminding our beautiful audience what those categories are? Of course. Now, the way we like to score our, our games, we break them down into several different categories. First is mechanics, which is the structure of the game, gameplay, how the game plays through that existing structure, the difficulty level of the game, how difficult the game is, um, the story, which is very applicable here since this is an RPG game, so it's the actual story as told through cutscenes, dialogue, and gameplay. Sound design, background music and sound effects. Visual presentation, which is, of course, what the background looks like, the character design, and the enemy design. And finally, one of the most important categories, modern day appeal. How well does this game hold up today, and is it a game that you want to play? 
Um, this is especially important for games such as Paper Mario, as you know the Switch does have an N64 platform now, and they are releasing this game on there. Would you play this now? And that is what we're going to find out. So I'll get things started off. Let's talk about some, some game mechanics. So we've already talked about this a little bit, but the most prevalent mechanic of Paper Mario is that it is a turn-based RPG. And as previously mentioned, one of the few for the system. The thing about turn-based RPGs is either you like them or you don't. Even with a well-made turn-based RPG, your enjoyment of the game is going to completely rely on personal preference, believe it or not. Imagine that. You either love a good turn-based attack game that progresses you through a story, or you hate it and you can't even touch it and you leave it alone. Um, For those of you on the love it side, this is as good as it gets, in my opinion. One thing that I think is redeeming for those who don't like turn-based RPG games is that you can see the enemies on your map and therefore the random encounters can be controlled to a degree. A lot of people find the random encounters annoying and, you know, if you're playing, you know, say a, a Final Fantasy game, you're just running through an environment every however many steps the screen fades into a battle so you don't really have a choice you know you you fight as much as the game wants you to fight and in paper mario you to a degree get to choose how many random encounters you have so i think that helps redeem the the game style for those who are not super into the turn-based rpg i think that gives it a huge bonus here because At certain points, this game could feel pretty lengthy, so allowing the uh, player himself or herself um, the ability to skip over some of these enemies just to get through a section of of the map uh, is very important. Um, Many times I found when getting to different levels within the game, there was a long road that you'd have to pass through in order to get there, so by giving the player the ability to bypass every, um, every other enemy, or let's say you're low on health for that reason alone, uh, letting you bypass some of these enemies is a big plus in terms of uh, the mechanics of this game. Yeah, and they definitely, like I was saying earlier, this game was definitely a, an attempt to bring more casual gamers into the RPG experience. And there, there are certainly making the game more uh, easily playable and less frustrating. For example, uh, timed hits. This is something that they had in Super Mario RPG as well. When you're swinging your hammer or you're jumping on a Goomba's head, you have the ability to time, press the A button right before you're about to jump on the head and you you deal extra damage. And it, it may seem like a kind of insignificant mechanic addition, but It allows the battle to be less monotonous and it allows, um, you know, you to engage instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to swing the hammer or I'm going to jump on their head and that's it. There's a little bit more engagement and I think that that goes a long way in reducing the monotony. I would actually argue it's not uh, an insignificant piece of the gameplay for me, actually, where Rob's a little bit more um, into a lot of the turn-based RPGs in general. I would consider myself closer to the casual fan in terms of turn-based RPGs, and that ability uh, for timing mechanisms or even being able to strike first into a battle, those mechanisms for me are a huge factor in why I enjoy it. In another way, they allowed a little bit more variety in the the party members that you acquire throughout the game and that's something that becomes pretty consistent throughout the paper mario series that or at least some of the better games that you gather unique party members and they help you solve certain puzzles to progress throughout the game and they each have their own special moves that are more effective on certain enemies so you can you you find yourself switching between characters based on the type of enemy you're fighting or the type of boss you're fighting and even when you're out on the field running around trying to solve puzzles a great often 
taken for granted mechanic is the fact that you can change your party members out on the fly. You just press the uh, one of the C buttons and then you can. That is fantastic. Yeah, you know, because especially as you progress further in the game, there'll be three different puzzles that you have to solve that require three different party members. And if you had to like press start, open a menu, select the character, close the menu, it would completely have, I think that would have been a game breaker. That would have been a game breaker for me, for sure. Like those type of like slow monotonous changes kill me on those type of games. So them allowing you to quick action, change a partner is, is incredibly smart. Yeah. Did you have a, a favorite party member, Steve? I actually personally love Cooper the best. Uh, definitely my favorite. Everyone always goes for Parakeet, I believe his name is. I, I get the name wrong sometimes. Oh, Parakeet. But everyone goes for him because he's the most powerful. But I actually find Cooper to be my personal favorite. Yeah, I used Cooper a lot because he, he has that sick ability where he can attack everybody that's on the ground. Uh, I loved using that one. And you can get a lot of first attacks with him by just jumping on him as you're walking around, which is great. Right. I, my... I loved Watt. Watt was actually my favorite. That was the bomb, correct? No. Or no, that was the light. Yeah, that, was, light. that was like the little elect- yeah. electricity yep. light bulb creature. That I loved Watt because Watt's inherent ability is that he ignored the enemy's defense when he attacked. So yep. if you're fighting one of those asshole like, like rock monsters or whatever that have wicked high defense, then it, it's completely ignored when you use Watt. So I, I, I stand Watt for sure. I also like him, uh, or him or her. Um, I also like him because uh, it's a later game unlockable. I felt like in this particular game, there wasn't a lot of, a lot of the unlockables for these characters were so early on. I like the fact that it was a later edition, uh, which helped keep the game going for me. And uh, of course, we, we have to discuss the, the badge system, which is one of the most uh, important parts of the, the battling itself. Um, you, you collect badges throughout the game. You can buy them from the badge shop. You can get them throughout the story, uh, find them in chests, hidden blocks, all of that. I would say that this badge system is probably for me, one of the more important mechanics. Um, I love the design of having some customizability for your character, it makes this so much fun for me because you are, it allows you to sort of play in any manner that you really want. Like, you know, if you want to run around the map, you know, hitting the Z button that allows you to spin and do a dizzy attack in every battle, you can do that. You can throw a hammer if you want. You can have a crazy jump, which is wicked powerful. So I find the variety that this badge system gives you and the ways in which you have to collect these badges are probably one of the most fun components of this game. That's a good point. You, you do allow yourself to customize the game almost to your, your play style. If you're more of an aggressive attacker and you want to put all of the strong attack badges on, you can do that. Or if you're a defensive player and you want to add lots of the uh, hit point increase or defense increase badges, you can do that. My, I, my only complaint is that I feel like I never had enough badge points. You use the badge I points would agree. to, to uh, equip your badges, and I, I found that I just never had enough of them, which I guess is fair because if you have a bunch of overpowered badges, then the game's just painfully A little easy. too easy. I, I, I agree, but that was that was the same complaint I had. I do feel like I would have liked to have equipped more badges than I could at any given time, but they really are protecting you from yourself in terms of just bombing through the game by crushing every opponent you face. Right. Um, an- another thing I liked is that there were just a ton of save blocks everywhere, and this is something that yes. I consider to be a nice moder- modern amenity because the fact that there are so many save blocks, you can play the game for 10 minutes, save, and put it down. And it, it really allows the game to become more of a pick-up-and-play game, which is, I think, a, a daunting fact of some RPGs that sometimes you got to play it for a half hour or more before you, can, before you can save it. And it kind of takes away from the experience of the player who really just wants to, like, Pick it up, play for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, put it down. It, it, it goes a long way. 
the quantity of save blocks they have throughout the game. This was such a big deal at the time because very few games allowed that much save capability. And again, I, I, I really agree with Rob that sometimes it's just too daunting to pick up these type of games. And, and again, if you're more casual, I did like playing this game 15 minutes at a time, half hour most. And you can actually pick up a controller and be in the middle of a level and not have to beat the level in one sitting. And it can save halfway through. So that 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 is a big... Um, gameplay mechanic, I think, that actually allows someone to stay engaged in such a long game. Yeah, for sure. In terms of the mechanic stuff, I guess a negative, because Steve and I are, are fanboys of this series, so we got to try to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find things that we, we don't like. The negatives I found is the, the side quests. The, they were, they're simple fetch quests where you just have to grab things for people or deliver mail to people and there's yeah, those just, were a little bit much i i had i found no joy in in doing them and uh being the cheater i am i looked up online to see if it was even worth it to do any of these side quests and at the end of the at the end of the day it just wasn't you didn't even get a you get like star pieces at most yeah and you, you don't if you're going for 100 percent, then you have to do them if you want to collect all the star pieces but if you're just trying to play the game uh it's it's completely unnecessary to do them and it, you're literally just running from town to town character to character trying to deliver mail and and uh things of that nature and it's there there was just no there was no thought put into it so i guess if there was any cheap part of the game that i had to dislike it from a mechanics perspective that would be the side quests in the game the one bonus though is that is something that you can completely ignore because i think it every playthrough i played through when i was a kid or uh this playthrough now i have ignored those i'm not one to go in go hardcore have to go get the 100 percent on a lot of my games i like to you know play the game to the point i enjoy it and then finish it off um right. I, I don't really go in for the 100 percent a lot so for me i i would agree with you i think those side quests were a bit nonsensical. They were really weren't well thought out uh, in terms of what you had to get done or um, there wasn't a good goal or a good reward at the end of any of them. Like I said, you, you mostly get a star piece for any, any piece of mail you deliver. And ultimately it's really not that much of a benefit to you. It's a, it's a, like a secondary benefit at most. And I do think that really is its only weak point, but pluses you can ignore those fortunately and so for right. me i would more than likely ignore them anyway and on that note i do think this is a great time to maybe get into some gameplay as i i sort of feel as though we've hit a lot of the big mechanics you know whether it's the turn-based attack the badge system or even the side quests um but gameplay is a huge factor here you know this particular game is your classic mario vs bowser to rescue princess peach type of gameplay and it's uh reimagined into this turn-based attack game um one of the things that i really liked about this particular game is that they took a very classic idea and fitted into this this different turn-based attack in terms of like even how you fight as mario you know mario traditionally has used either a hammer or has used his jump attack as his attack system and in the gameplay here they keep those as mario's attack default options um in this turn-based attack system yeah that's true it it very much so feels like a Mario game and you're that you're in a Mario universe based on the, you know, little touches like that with the, the hammer and the, and the jumping. And and in terms of the bad guys that you have to fight throughout this game, it's all your classic um, Mario villains. You know, you got your Goombas, you got your Koopas, you got um, shy guys, all, all, all of the standard villains that he'd face in any other Mario game, um, sort of seen in a different, uh, two-dimensional way, which is, which is quite, quite different and nice. Yeah. The only, the only thing that I would see as a negative is it took a while, I feel, for the enemy variety to feel like there was any variety. It felt like I was just fighting Goombas and Koopas forever. Different colors too. Like they'd start out like your baseline regular color and yeah. they'd turn like a slightly like darker shade. Yeah. I, I, I would say that by the end of the game, I felt like there was a good variety 
in a good mix of enemies. But at the beginning, I was like, oh man, I'm tired of killing Koopas and Goombas. So I guess what I'll say is if you notice that at the beginning of the game, it does improve as the game goes on. I think, you know, in terms of who you're fighting throughout the games for this gameplay, I think that's really uh, a big factor in terms of why they may have chosen this to me would have been their length of the game. This is definitely one of the longer gameplays of, of any game you could pick on the N64. And I do think... You know, they bog down the beginning of like the first three or four levels up until you get to the level where you're um, where you find Bo, your partner, and you and you're fighting. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure what the guy is called, but he carries the hammer, walks around, looks kind of like a dinosaur. And um, up until you're really battling them, you really are just only battling Koopas, Goombas, and rocks. Um, so yeah, I think gameplay, the length of it, is, is a big factor in why you you have those. Another factor in this too that adds to some of the length issues that I feel occur here in gameplay is the Princess Peach cutscenes in between each chapter. I think they're completely unnecessary elements of this game that seriously bog the game down as a whole. It's one of the few areas that you can't pause in the middle of it and save. You have to play it completely through. And it can add another 15, 20 minutes of gameplay in between each chapter of the true story of the game. And I do think that actually is one of the bigger negatives here. Yeah, 100% agree. I liked it at first. I think it's a, a really cool idea. I think it was executed about as well as they could have. But it's very slow. And the worst thing is when you're trying to sneak around Bowser's castle and you get caught and get carried back to the room and then you have to go behind the fireplace and try it all over again. It, it's it's definitely it grinds the pace to a halt. And and I would see that as a, a pretty big negative, although it was somewhat humorous sneaking around the castle and just seeing how how useless some of his henchmen are and how useless even Bowser is. It's, uh, I would say that was pretty amusing, but overall it's, I see this as a huge negative. I agree. I think it's, yeah, I think in terms of this game as a whole, that, that is really my, my only true complaint is, is length of gameplay. And you could really cut scenes out like this completely and really have no, no negative effect. Honestly, only a positive effect. I think, um, would come of eliminating scenes like this. So there was a lot of that. And and I mentioned previously as well, there's a lot of ground to be covered in between each level, which makes this really lengthy. And it's not until much later in the game when you get the capability of the pipe system to even cut back to some of these levels. So for a good portion of the game, you're not interested in going back anywhere and recovering any ground purely because it takes so long to get there. I discovered the pipes on accident. And when I did, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. because. It, it wasn't even a possibility that I was going to spend my time running from place to place and having to fight weak Goombas to get back to the beginning of the, of the game. But thankfully, they do offer the Z button, which allows you to spin and move a little bit faster. And it's, it's almost akin to, it, it's almost like a, a fidget thing, even similar to if you're playing Ocarina of Time and you want to uh, roll Poor everywhere roll. <laughs> that you go. It's almost the same thing. It's just something to break up the monotony of traveling. And in this case, with Paper Mario, if you get the speedy spin badge, which you can get pretty early on in the game, I highly, highly recommend getting this badge. It it like doubles your spin distance, so you can just zoom everywhere. It's it completely for me made the game significantly more enjoyable from a traveling perspective just to be able to spin so fast and you can use it to dodge enemies and just generally move around really fast and it really sped up the pace of the game add the dizzy badge to that and uh you can actually if you accidentally hit an enemy start in the fight with basically immobilizing them for one turn which is also a nice um customizability option there yeah, I never, I saw that one. I had the badge and I never tried it out. And now I'm kind of upset that I didn't. Yeah, it's a real solid one. I, I put, you get it really early in the game too. And yeah, it's very, very useful for any game. Just knocking somebody out for one turn. It's pretty big. Another concept of the gameplay that I felt was a little bit unique where, where I would say on the whole, this particular game sort of 
keeps itself in the more traditional um, Mario game style. Uh, one one element that was different here that I think made this game so fun, and it, it it's a similar concept used elsewhere in the N64, but basically the idea of collecting each star... Um, as you're unlockable for beating in beating particular levels, I think that element and how it's incorporated into the turn-based attack system um, was a huge positive on the gameplay here. You know, unlocking a star at the end of the level that actually gives you an in-game turn-based attack upgrade is a fantastic reward to beat a level. And I actually think that particular element of the gameplay is one of the most fun. And it was a great uh, addition to an otherwise traditional Mario game. Yeah, I agree. I love that they incorporated each star getting its own special attack. And once you get Star Storm, you can just mess everybody up with the... does seven damage to everybody. Which is huge in that type of game. Yeah, I, I spammed the hell out of that move once I got it. You know, it's so funny. This this concept to me really was a thing, I think, in a lot of N64 games. Because this collect seven stars or whatever the number was is essentially the same exact mechanism that they use in Ocarina of Time, another wildly popular hit where you're basically collecting seven state sages um, throughout the game. So I think it was a very popularized thing at that point in time. Yeah. The N64 loved making you collect stuff. They got off on it. It, it, produ- it puts out a good game, that's for sure. Yeah. If I were to signal a negative of, of the gameplay, something that I just don't understand why this was done, is why the heck can't you use items outside of battle? That, that yeah, drove, that's pretty hurtful. That, <laughs> it hurt my feelings, Stephen, because I'm out there... <laughs> And how often did you get to a point where you picked up an item and you had too many items and you had to throw one away? Because it happened to me constantly. That was brutal, like honestly, because I think they cap you at something like 10 and you get them so frequently. It's kind of a kind of a waste, honestly. Yeah. And if you were able to use items outside of battle, you'd be like, okay, I I'm a little hurt. I could use a mushroom to heal some health and then I'll pick up this other item. As opposed to throwing away the mushroom, you're like, okay, I'll use it. I'll make exactly. some use out of it. So I got to say, if I were to pick a, a negative of this game in general, that is top three bothersome aspects of this game that I, I wish they, uh, they reversed. It does bog the gameplay down for sure. I, I, I think it's a wasted opportunity, um, especially in how much they limit you there. Yeah. Do you, so for me, I um, another topic I think we should get into next should be the difficulty level of this game. Um, for this type of game in particular, I do think this is one of the most critical elements to the game. Uh, Rob, I don't know if you agree with me, but I really found that they nailed the progression in the growth of the difficulty as you adventured through the game. Uh, for me, I feel like it was there. Do you feel like it was a challenging enough game for you? I... I 100% agree. I started off, and you know, I take notes on the game as I'm playing it, and my first difficulty note was that this game is laughably easy, and it was almost offensive, and I was like, oh man, I mean, it was still fun, still very fun to play, but it was very easy, and then I start to notice, oh wait, that boss battle was pretty tough, and you know, this area is pretty tough, and I'm like, oh wait, this game just has a very well-paced difficulty where... It starts off really easy. The game allows you to learn how it works. And then it, when it's done holding your hands, it's like, okay, so now we're going to introduce this challenge and you have to deal with it. I think that's critically important here because I do think there's so much going on in this game. I do think they tone down the difficulty early in the game, maybe a little bit too long, just so that you understand exactly what it is you're doing. And then they really take the wheels off the training wheels off for you and really do up the difficulty of the game i feel like by about the time when you get the star that does provide you the uh storm the star storm uh weapon i do feel like the difficulty upgrades immensely and i think it's indicative of giving a lot more capabilities to Mario at that point in the game. And I do think it was very, very important because I would agree, early on, the game was a little too easy for me. I mean, I think they kind of added to the difficulty by making um, 
some of the challenges, not just in the fight, but in the puzzle of the of the fight. So if you look at the level where you're uh, unlocking your partner bow, and if you don't play that game correctly, you can't even win the fight. You have to actually figure out the puzzle as to where um, the weak point is for this particular boss. So I do think they do a good job supplementing some of the easy fighting with uh, a little bit of a challenge in figuring out a puzzle. Um, but overall, the progression here, I think, is most important. And finding a heavy difficulty later in the game was was fantastic and kept me interested throughout. And you know, something that I appreciate about this game as well, because of the fact that you can, to a degree, control the number of battles that you fight, you can almost dial the level of difficulty to where you want. You don't really have to grind in this game like point. you have to do in a lot of other RPGs where you just have to fight battles for 15 minutes or more to gain levels. Uh, if you just fight every enemy that you come across, then the difficulty will be much easier. But if you're like, you know what, I don't want to fight every character and every enemy, then you can skip them and the game will allow you to do that. But in that in the same sense, the game will be harder because you're not getting the experience points to level up and it it will allow the game to move a little bit quicker but in at the expense of difficulty that's right. a really really interesting point talk about customizability that's a great that's a great point you can customize how fast you want to go to the game ver go through the game versus how difficult you want the game to be um you are right it definitely makes a huge difference here i will say that if i were to pull any negatives for the difficulty it's the fact that the puzzles almost throughout the entirety of the game are, and when I say puzzles, I, I don't mean the battle puzzles, but the just the environmental puzzles that you have to overcome yeah. are generally painfully easy. And they're, they're probably yes. pretty tough for the younger audience and maybe uh, a more amateur gamer who doesn't play puzzle games a lot. But, you know, Steve, you and I are big legend of zelda fans and we're no stranger to the 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 puzzle definitely and puzzle games are my favorite type of games yeah so the, the puzzles were just too easy it was always pretty obvious for the most part other than maybe the ice castle i thought that that one was mm -hmm. they, they stepped up the difficulty a little bit there but overall i felt like the the puzzles were just there to be there and didn't really add a whole lot that's actually exactly how i felt about them honestly i don't think the puzzles were difficult by any means, they were pretty much, okay, ask three guys on the map some question. They're going to eventually fill in what you have to do here. So I do think they weren't incredibly difficult, um, but it was probably there to bring in the younger audience. I, I definitely agree. I think they needed to keep that a little more on the obvi obvious side uh, because I do think some of the game development itself was to target a younger crowd as well. Um and so to me, it makes sense that it's a little bit on the easier side in terms of the environmental puzzles. Right. Uh, another thing, and this is maybe my, my last point regarding difficulty, another way that the game can become easier is if you pay close attention to enemy weaknesses. And part of that is knowing not only when to jump on an enemy, like if they're spiked, you obviously don't want to jump on them, uh, or when to hit them with a hammer. You, you really need to uh, modify your badges throughout the game to, say if you're in an area where there are a lot of spiky monsters, you can equip the badge that allows you to jump on spiky enemies, things like that. There are ways that you really have to take advantage of enemy weaknesses, not only between badges, but also your partner's strengths, so that you can take as little damage as possible, which ultimately makes the game easier in the long run when you're not taking tons of damage because you're not addressing enemy weaknesses properly. You do have to strategize how you choose the badges in order to make each of these enemies much less difficult. You know, sometimes you have to use that, like, there's a quake badge, basically, that it's one of the few items that can touch some of these more uh, resilient enemies, which is pretty important, especially early on. Oh, man, I was so happy that I accidentally figured out those quake badges because... They really help against like those bats that hang up on the ceiling. Big time. It's like your only way to get those is with that or like a hammer throw. For me, I do think the only 
commentary I really had overall with the difficulty really was the length uh, um, of how easy it was early in the game. But I do think overall, the difficulty they more or less nailed in terms of midway through the game till later on. Uh, it was a challenging game. I do agree with Rob that the puzzles were a little bit on the easy side, especially if that's a big a big deal for you. They're definitely targeted towards a younger crowd. But overall, I think the difficulty was 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 spot on for me. Fully agree. Now, the next thing that I'd like to get to is is the story of this game. This obviously being an RPG, um the story is is incredibly important here. And I do think um for me, I think what's important is, you know, how they told the story. You know, as I've mentioned before, this is your classic Mario Bowser Peach uh, storyline, but they definitely take it in a different presentation than they have in any other Mario game in the past. They almost set it up with a stage and a, and a, and a play. Now, I think they've done that similarly in Super Mario 3 on the NES, um, but... They took this to another level here in this game with different chapters, you know, closing of the curtains and, and everything. And even in terms of putting it on paper, they really designed this story much differently than anything we've seen before. I agree completely. It's it. The, the story it's, itself, I would still say, is pretty bare bones for the most part when you really think. And I'm I'm giving it the comparison to Final Fantasy, where the story is just epic and in Paper Mario. It doesn't really scratch that surface, I would say. However, to me, it's more traditional. You right, and it, like you said, it it has the same Bowser kidnaps Peach vibe, but they, for the first time, really, or one of the first times in any Mario game, they're trying to do a little bit more. And this, I'd say, is really the the first modern entry where they they try to do something like that, and. Almost every Mario game that followed from this point on, when you think of, you know, Mario Sunshine or the Mario Galaxy games or, you know, the future Paper Mario games, they really put more effort into making it more than just Mario or Mario fights Bowser, Bowser kidnaps Peach, that kind of thing. They try to put a little bit more effort into it. And what I really appreciate about Paper Mario is it was basically the first game of the franchise to to do something like that I, and i think too that it, it it's the first time they really expand the cast of characters in in a way you know and they even blur the lines in the story in terms of who's a good guy who's a bad guy um they make your partners people that mario has traditionally battled so they give a little more depth to some of the characters here they give you a koopa as a as a ally for the first time they give you a goomba uh, a, a ghost all things that have traditionally been villains in in the series up until this point and i think it's the first time they make an attempt to develop other characters and other villains in in, in the traditional mario storyline and, and you're right it really set the tone for everything that came afterwards yeah that's actually a really good point steve it's it's interesting that they're you know a goomba was a black and white bad guy it's 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 never been uh, there's never been an opportunity that a Goomba could be a good guy. And now you start off the game and at the Goomba village or whatever, and you meet a family of pleasant Goombas and you're like, wow, this is what this game's all about. You know, it's, it's, it's not black and white. It's, there's more, uh, there's more life to it, I guess. Yeah. I feel like it, it's, it's, they've added depth. Finally. It's like everything, everything before was just kidnap the princess for X reason. We're going to go get them. That's it. This, this is the first time they've truthfully had some depth here. And I think, for me, it, it made the story so good. Steve, I think you just stumbled on an incredibly uh, existential and intelligent uh, thought. I'm so where, deep over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> Steve, so deep. Yeah, where the fact that this game is reverting to like the, a 2D style, you know, li literally the whole purpose of this game is that it's paper, you know, it's, it's a 2D game in a somewhat 3D world. But it's the first game to bring depth. Steven, my God, you've done it. You've cracked it. Sometimes, like, that's the thing with, with this game for me. It was, out of any game I played on the N64, then or now, 
it, it's the most different. The, the, I, I did a lot of research before we looked into this game, and I couldn't find any other game that sort of presented the same style. It's like, in a way, everybody was going to the next level, technologically speaking, in terms of 3D. Let's push the limits there. And you have a lot of titles that really blew the doors open in, in a new world, whether it be Zelda Ocarina of Time going 3D or 007, you know, uh, introducing like a first person uh, shooter style game. This game really was one of the only games in the N64 that went back to the roots of, of, of a traditional game and try and reinvent and tried to reinvent a real story. I agree. And, and this is, this is definitely a good segue into visual presentation. However, one thing I would like to just quickly mention is in terms of the dialogue of the story that this game is also incredibly hilarious to me. And, you know, humor is 100% subjective. So some people might look at the dialogue and say, oh, it's maybe it's childish or it's just not for them. They don't get it. But the, uh, they definitely try to make all the characters have very hilarious dialogue. And it almost reminds me of Earthbound for Super Nintendo, where the, game's, the game makes you want to talk to everybody because everybody says something that's amusing. And it really helps breathe life into the Paper Mario world. So I just wanted to make that comment. I agree. I think it, it like they even do a good job lightening up characters such as Bowser, making it a little him a little more loose and fun. Yeah, he's he's so dopey and it's it's hilarious. Like the part where he uh he asks Peach in which ways she thinks that Bowser could hurt Mario. It's like, oh, I'm trying to hurt Mario, Peach. What do you think? What what does Mario hate? And Peach is like, oh, I think I think he hates mushrooms. <laughs> and then you end up playing through the next the toy chest level and then he ends up giving you mushrooms and all these things that you like off of peach's recommendation which is just the dopiest thing ever it is pretty funny um but uh with this game i do think outside of story i think the next thing for us really is the visual presentation and i actually think the visual presentation is essential in this particular game not just in terms of how they were making games then but actually in how well it holds up today the visual presentation like i said it was a game that was going back to really a lot of roots of like a 2d feel on a system that was producing nothing but 3d product and i think because there was a higher tech at this point in time and they were trying to achieve something that was never really could be perfected on a previous system because the tech wasn't fully there. I think they perfected a 2D vibe that visually still looks great today. I agree completely. It's they instead of trying to push the boundaries in terms of what a 3D game could be at the time, they really stuck close to the roots and I couldn't agree more that because of this the game aged really well comparatively when you look to some some of the other games that came out for the N64 it, where they tried to push the boundaries and ended up with a polygonal mess. Paper Mario s stands up. A hundred percent, because that's a thing. They were not trying to make that next level uh, 3D tech or 3D visuals that, you know, were always going to get approved upon on, on future consoles. You know... As great as Ocarina of Time was at the time, without a smoothed out version in current day, it doesn't hold up visually as nice as this does. This, they were perfecting a sticker like design almost on each of these ca individual characters. The backgrounds even were very much almost had a sticker vibe as well. And they just perfect perfected a 2D model that makes sense in 2021. And you even see in 2021 them reproducing more games like that. Yeah, and it's it's the same it's the same concept as to why Super Nintendo games have aged so well visually. When you look at the the pixel art style, they they look great to this day and and when you look at the N64 stuff at the time it was mind-blowing and looked so much better than the Super Nintendo stuff when we were over the Super Nintendo stuff. But 
when you look back as in a retrospective way, the the Super Nintendo tried to do less, and it had it was more focused on perfecting what the Nintendo had done before, as opposed to creating something brand new. And it, and the result is that you know Super Nintendo still holds up really well today visually, despite the fact that it's older technology. And Paper Mario really, you know, followed up in that tradition on the N64, and it really knocks it out of the park in terms of visual presentation for this game. And that's, yeah, you, know, you can't you can't speak more highly of it. I I love how they created this world and really put a lot of effort into the the little things. So when you go to take a rest at a, a toad house. And you jump up in the air and you kind of float like paper under the sheets. Or when you enter a building or leave a building and the buildings fold up and fold down as you enter and leave them. It's those little thoughts that really became super characteristic of the series as it went on. As they really tried to lean into that paper that, that paper concept. And it, it really started here and, it, and they did a great job with it in creating this like fully immersive Paper Mario world. It really was quite beautiful. In terms of sound, how did you feel about this game? I thought that the sound was good. I think saying that is an indictment of the sound in and of itself. Um, and I only say that because otherwise, every area of this game, I think, is above average. And this one is the one area of the game to me that was just good. Yeah, it, it was kind of hit or miss because there were some tracks like... The, the star spirit theme that played every time you encountered a star spirit was friggin' awesome. And the Yoshi Village theme song was stuck in my head for literally a week after I played that level. So there's, there's definitely some really like grade A tracks in this game. And there are also some tracks that are not so great, not so memorable. I think the one thing I will say and why I rated the sound design higher, despite the fact that some of the tracks were kind of meh, is the fact that all of the tracks did a really good job at creating the atmosphere and aiding the atmosphere for what particular level you're at, whether it be the Boo Mansion or you're on the volcano. I thought the music did a really good job at, at creating the proper atmosphere for the world that you were in, even if the music was at times a bit forgettable. See, I hear you on the variety that you see in, in the different worlds, but I do think overall, overall for me, a lot of the sounds from world to world sort of felt not too far off from one another. And they sort of started to blend, uh, poorly for me. Um, the other thing too is it just it got stale relatively quick not just in terms of the background music itself but also the actionable sounds. This game is far too long of a game for that for me what felt like that stale of of, of a soundtrack. Um I did find at times I was playing this game for so long that I would actually tune the sound down and you know play my own music uh I don't know. It didn't do it for me. I think it was just too long a game for that type of sound. I would get frustrated in individual levels listening to that same thing over and over again. And even in terms of the turn-based sounds, like when you're actually in the attack zone, it, 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 it's too repetitive for me. But that, I think, is, is you know, part of this style of game, uh, which I think is just a natural drawback. Right. And in, in a in a uh, style of game such as a turn-based RPG, especially from that era, and you're stacking it up against Final Fantasy, which even back in the day had some of the best music ever, it definitely falls a bit flat and, and pales in comparison to that stuff. I, I can certainly agree with you there. Yeah. This was, to me, the only really weak category this particular game had. Every, everything else, to me, really, really was done well. This to me was just a bit of a, a ball drop here. And I think it does relate to length of game. Um, the only issues I've ever really seen us for, or that I felt we came across in this game were, were ultimately do relate to length of game and, 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 and such. And I do think the sound here struggles because of that. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. 
For our last category, and probably uh, one we talk about that might be one of our most important, is modern day appeal. We've been talking about every element of this game so far, and without question, this game, to me, has the most modern replayability that any game we have seen so far. Um, And I think it's going to be hard to match how replayable this game is as we continue on with other games throughout the show. The turn-based RPG style of the game is certainly one of the first things I think of when I think of the modern appeal because it hasn't aged super well to some gamers because of how slow and tedious it can be. But I think that Paper Mario does a great job at, at implementing various mechanics that speed the game up, such as being able to see the enemies on the map. You can avoid your random encounters. You can press the Z button, especially with the speedy spin badge, to move really fast. And it, it honestly, I'm a huge fan, so the game didn't have to convince me to like RPGs, but I think it did a good job, and I think the popularity of the game speaks for itself when it comes to how accessible this game was then, and I think it it does hold up very well now. Uh, Another big factor for me in what makes this game so replayable is the customizability. Um, I go back to the badge system. That badge system, it feels like was very, it seems very early in the in the video game era for that level of, okay, of, of change of how you can change how you attack. And I think that level of customizability is something you really see in every game today. Uh, back in the N64 days, you, did, you didn't see that as freely. So I think that's a huge factor in this game's replayability and why it's still fun to play is you really can play this game how you want to play this game. And I think that really goes a long way in today's market. Right. And We'd be remiss if we didn't mention, or I guess re-mention, the visual style, which aged incredibly well based on the fact that they were not trying to reinvent the wheel per se, they were trying to perfect it, and it, it makes the game more of a joy to those who want to play a game that doesn't look like dog trash in this day and age, which... If if any of you have played the Nintendo Switch Online stuff, it it they even go a step farther in making sure that the the pixels are a lot more crisp and all of that. So whenever this game gets released for the Nintendo Online Switch Online, I'm not sure if a date has been announced, but I imagine it will look even better as they try to smooth it out. I do think that. It will be very difficult as we continue on this show to find another game that has as high modern day appeal for me. I I really think this this is this is a game I would play any minute in current day life. And I'm very excited for it to come out on the Switch, quite honestly, because I think this is the perfect style of game that I can sit and watch TV with my wife and, you know, play a video game for a couple hours. You know, you don't have to be overly involved. You don't have to um you know, it's it's a real great casual play, and I think that is what's very important for a lot of people in today's day and age. Yeah, speaking of being able to play this game at, at any point in your life, when it's released on the Switch, you'll be able to play it when you're making poops. Definitely, which is a huge plus. Absolutely. I, I make my, my most cherished gaming moments while I'm dropping logs. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> on that note... Um, just a couple final thoughts on uh, on our on our overall scores that we're willing to give this game today. Um, taking into consideration everything that we've talked about, you know, mechanics being a massive factor here, the story being a big factor, the the difficulty pro- progression, the visual presentation and modern day appeal. For me, you take all those together, and I I would rate this game in at a four point four uh, out of our five uh, point system. I think this game is so much fun. It was great back in the day as kids. It's even better now. Um, definitely a game worth playing in my book. It's funny that you say that, Stephen, because I also rated this game four point four. Imagine that. We're on the same page with this one for sure. So I I wonder using mathematical formulas what our combined score would be what do you think steve Ooh, coming in at a solid 4.4 for our our scoring of uh paper mario today i think that is a 
excellent representation of where this game stands up. Um, Definitely the best game that we've played so far. Uh, One of the most fun on replayability, and I really hope everyone out there goes out and enjoys this game. I definitely think it's worth their time. 100% agree. This was a, a true joy replaying this one. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of the N64U podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please like us on Facebook via our N64U, a retro great gaming podcast page, or follow us on Instagram for all of our latest updates and announcements. And don't forget to subscribe and rate slash review us on your favorite podcasting app, which will keep you up to date on our latest episodes and help us reach more lovely people such as yourself. And if you have any questions or comments, please shoot us an email at n64upodcast at gmail.com and we'll read it out on the show. This is Rob and Steve signing off from your home for all things N64 here at the N64U Podcast. I'm so deep over here.